Welcome to Church Public, current events from a Christian perspective. Today we learn it's okay, apparently, to try to stab a gubernatorial candidate or attempt to murder a Supreme Court justice, as we heard a couple weeks ago, as long as they are conservative. Los Angeles Unified School District encourages kids to experiment with pronouns and other LGBT ideas. And in Arizona, you no longer need a college education to teach in public school. Finally, we move to Michigan, where the governor really wants women to have the choice in reproductive health care. So, the governor in Michigan is closing pregnancy centers and defunding adoption aids. I'm Matt Odegaard. Welcome to Church Public. Thank you again for choosing Church Public. My name is Matt Odegaard. I am your host here, and today we're looking at current events from a Christian perspective. If you missed some of them, or if you want to go back in time and hear what has happened in the past, or just review some of the previous podcasts, you can at churchpublic.com. If you want to see the videos, if you're just listening on audio, and I really appreciate you listening on audio, you can go to churchpublic.com slash podcast and get that information there. If you haven't already, feel free to like or subscribe or do a five-star review, hit the notification bell, depending on which platform you are on. And if this is helpful in any way to you and you feel like it might be helpful to somebody else, feel free to hit that little button and shoot it off to a friend. Thanks again for joining me at Church Public. Let's get to some news. All right, so today we're looking at a Republican candidate for New York governor who apparently was attacked by, it wasn't really a knife, uh, I don't have a picture of it here, but it was kind of like a super shark pointy thing, and this guy jumped up on the stage and tried to stab Republican candidate Lee Zeldin as he was doing a campaign event Thursday night in a Veterans of Foreign Wars post in Parenton, New York. WIVB4 reported that Zeldin was speaking on bail reform when the alleged male attacker jumped on stage and started yelling. The suspect had a... Super shark pokey thing apparently said, like, you're done and tried to stab Zeldin in the neck. The suspect was wrestled with and during the altercation pulled out a blade with grips. According to reports, Zeldin was unharmed, which is good, and finished his speech after the suspect had been subdued and taken away. Zeldin posted later on Twitter following the attack, quote, thank you to all who reached out following tonight's attack. I am grateful. I was able to grab onto his wrist in time when he lunged for my neck. Grateful many individuals on site quickly jumped and tackled him. Grateful for the local law enforcement who apprehended apprehended the attacker. He added, political scores should be settled at the ballot box, not on stage at campaign events, trying to violently attack candidates you don't agree with. I'm going to go ahead and jump in here and say, right, isn't that our democratic system? When our 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 betters, our, our superior uh, political elites say, <laughs> you know, go up and, and stir up a crowd, as some have said, or get in the streets and, and start peacefully protesting. I mean, okay, peaceful protest, but violently attacking somebody with some kind of blade to kill them during a campaign event, that's not really appropriate. Um, Zeldin went on to say, quote, this is not okay. This is the United States of America. This is the greatest country in the history of the world, to which I would respond, yeah, it, it is. Uh, so maybe we should act like it and stop trying to kill each other rather than just talking about ideas. All I want to do is talk. Let's talk about ideas. As an update to the story, the attacker has now been released on bail awaiting trial, which seems to me, just me, this is my opinion now, this seems like a bad idea. You would think attacking an actual political figure with the alleged attempt to, apparently, murder him would at least land you in jail till trial. I mean, that's what I think, but again, what do I know? 
And I would add that we were told in accordance with this January 6th people, some of whom are still in holding with no, um, with no end date in sight. And some, as far as I can tell, haven't even been charged with certain things. And all they did for some of them was walk around the building. Again, to those that went in illegally, to those that did illegal things, of course, they should be held to account for the illegal things that they did. But this is the question of, do we have a standard that applies to all of the people all of the time, or do we not? It seems like we've entered this time of two tracks of justice. If you're with the party and commit a crime, I guess, don't worry about it. You'll be out tomorrow. If you are against the party and commit a crime, you may be held indefinitely as a statement to the resistance. Or at least, that's what it seems from my perspective. You can check my work on that. Then we move to Los Angeles. Beautiful, sunny Los Angeles. Man, I love LA. Except for actually trying to live there. Anyway, in the Los Angeles Unified School District, we have to come to this story from Chris Rufo. Uh, he posted this on City Journal. It was picked up by Fox and a bunch of other outlets. Um, but I hadn't seen it really proliferated, so I thought we needed to talk about it because it talks about our kids. And really, what I like to talk about is families, children, building society on the building block of the family because that is really the building block for society. I've said that a bunch of times. So, according to Christopher Rufo and the LA Unified School District, one of the largest school districts in the country, by the way, uh, somewhere between 500 and 600,000 students in the school district. That's a pretty big school district. So, for apparently the whole school district, the LAUSD has encouraged teachers to embrace LGBT ideology, denouncing the quote-unquote gender binary, according to a new report. Christopher Rufo, senior fellow at the conservative think tank Manhattanist Institute, shared documents, which you can view on his Twitter at Christopher, at Christopher Rufo, I believe it is, that he obtained from the LAUSD, the Los Angeles Unified School Districts, their Human Relations, Diversity, and Equity Department, on Twitter. He released these. He tweeted, quote, LA Unified School District encourages kindergartners Kindergartners is what we're talking about here, people. To experiment with non-binary pronouns. This trains teachers to subvert, quote, mainstream white cis heteropatriarchy. Hate- I can't even say all these words together. They're all made up. Anyway. Trains teachers to subvert, quote, mainstream white cis heteropatriarchy society and promotes sexual identities such as trans, pansexual, two-spirit, and genderqueer, end quote. This is the training that they're doing for kindergartners, people. Among the documents Rufo shared online are LAUSD's, quote, queer and trans-affirming school calendar titled Queer All School Year. So in case June wasn't enough for Pride Month and all the other holidays that I've listed to you in the past, which added up to something like 28 holidays or something like that, now all school year is queer, according to the LAUSD. Other workshops at the same conference featured a panel discussion with queer 7th grade students to, quote, produce counter-narratives against the master narrative of mainstream white heteropatriarchy society that seeks to erase and oppress our lived experiences, end quote. That sounded like a bunch of gobbledygook. Can't even say it. That's probably because it is. This included a list of resources for trans-identified students, including, quote, trans-affirming clothing, end quote. And by the way, if you didn't know, uh, not expressed specifically in this article, but it happens to be a thing that is in schools across America, there are now changing closets. A changing closet, if you didn't know, is a place where trans-identified boys and girls can go when they arrive at school, change into their preferred gender rather than what their parents dress them as or they dress themselves as, 
and then at the end of the day, change back into the clothes that their parents wanted them to wear or that matched their gender, etc. This is a real thing, and it's happening across America. And specifically, these teachers are now being trained on how to deal with that. This article goes on to talk about another workshop which advised teachers to use, quote, non-gendered expressions like boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, and guys, end quote. School district policy issued in 2019 proclaimed, quote, students shall be addressed by their name and pronoun that corresponds to their gender identity asserted at school without obtaining a court order, changing their pupil records, or obtaining parent legal guardian permission, end quote. Just to be clear on this, that means that if a student decides to identify as something else, decides to want to be called something else at school, they can and should be called that. And the parents don't need to know, don't have to find out, you don't have to tell them, you don't have to tell them anything about anything, and this is the new way that we're going in schools. This should be viewed as quite a problem. A chart obtained by Rufo listed the privileged social groups, quote-unquote, within individual social identity categories along with the border social groups and the disadvantaged social groups. Again, what we're doing is striating in hierarchy who has more points and who has less points, um, who's going to win the oppression Olympics and who is not. This chart uh, provided by Rufo identified white people, Anglo-Saxons, citizens, males, gender-conforming men, women, heterosexuals, rich people, able-bodied, here it is, mainstream Christians as all privileged social groups. The document said that people of color, females, trans-identified people, LGBT individuals, non-Christians as disadvantaged social groups. So in other words, if you're one of the aforementioned and not the later mentioned groups, you are the oppressor, you are evil, you have committed the ultimate sin just by being you, apparently, and you should now go for punishment, though you can't actually receive forgiveness because in the system there's no actual forgiveness, as we've talked about many times about CRT. You can go and search for that at churchpublic.com if you have questions about what that is and what that means and how this factors in. But this is what we were talking about here because you have all of these issues that compound together with critical race theory, gender theory, queer theory, social justice theory, etc. These all wrap together and these all wrap into, well, what are we talking about? And who has been the most oppressed? And if you have been oppressed, as uh, Kendi would say, Ibram X. Kendi would say, past discrimination calls for current discrimination and current discrimination calls for future discrimination. So if you are in one of these classes, you can and should be discriminated against because you are naturally, by birth, by skin color, uh, by religion, you are naturally an oppressor, and there is no way you can get past that. You just are bad. And if you are oppressed on the other side of that, there's no way you can get past that other than people giving you a hand into something and removing barriers like hard work and uh, dedication and responsibility, because why would you need those things in real life? Just for reference, a Los Angeles Unified School District in 2019, this was before the whole pandemic shut down and everything else, had only 43% of students meet or exceed requirements for English and an abysmally low metric of 33% in math. I can only guess, though those numbers haven't been available that I can find yet, they're much lower now. But yeah, let's teach kids about gender identity and sexuality, because that will help them learn good to say it wrongly. Anyway, speaking of education, apparently now in Arizona, teachers no longer need college degrees. I'm sure that won't backfire at all. Oh boy, here we go. Uh, so this story is about Governor Doug Ducey, 
who has done some good things, but this one, I, I don't know what to say about. Let's just read the article here is Governor Doug Ducey is pushing alternative education in Arizona by signing a, a new law stating public school teachers are no longer required to have a college degree before being hired. They should have a college degree or I'm sorry, they should be enrolled in college as they become teachers. But that's a question mark to me, like, well, you're just enrolled in college. Do you even have to finish or do you just be constantly enrolled and never finish? This just, again, seems like not a great procedure. Teacher shortages apparently are part of the reason why law SB 1159 was passed because Arizona's severe teacher shortage over the last six years. This past winter, 26% of teacher vacancies were unfilled. That's like a third of places of, of schools that needed teachers could not get teachers. Like that's that's a lot of positions. And roughly 2,000 classrooms, according to this report, were without an official teacher. That also is really terrible. Ducey claims that loosening the teacher credential requirements would help fill this gaps, which it probably will. But is that a good thing? That That's really what we get to. Like, is having teachers who are not fully educated good? Do you want the teachers that don't know what they're teaching? And of course, Arizona is not the only place where there are teacher shortages. Uh, I mean, really, they're occurring nationwide with consequences that we don't actually know yet. So I'm torn. I'm really torn on this. On the one hand, it's a terrible problem for the impacted students. There are students who will just not get more education. But as we saw before, apparently they're not getting education anyway. So on the other hand, if there is a bright side, and there may be, I don't know, this means that these progressive college-educated liberals will not be teaching children as much. And I guess that's a good thing. Either way, this is just bad for kids. Why don't we focus on the kids? Why can't we put kids first? But this bureaucracy just seems intentionally designed to put kids last. And that really frustrates me. Because as a professor, educator, overall proponent of learning, and, and learning all that you can in the time that you have, lowering the bar on education, lowering the bar especially on educators, it's not going to end with a society full of wisdom. And we all should know that. But apparently, this is now the world that we live in. Then we move to Michigan. Michigan, Michigan governor apparently dislikes pregnancy centers because pro-choice. I, I, I don't know what else to say. According to the Federalist last week, Michigan's Democratic governor, Gretchen Whitmer, vetoed funding for maternity homes, adoption tax credits, and other budget items that assist pregnant women. But this is all about choice, right? While post- Dobbs, that's the Mississippi versus Dobbs, and then the Roe versus Wade and the Planned Parenthood versus Casey decisions that all came out. Whitmer and her fellow Democrats seek to conceal the party's pro-abortion agenda by pushing state courts to institute the extreme abortion regime they demand, according to the Federalist. So they removed from the budget any spending that is actually pro-choice or pro-woman or pro-baby, which to me, really shows that Whitmer and the Democrats, but, uh, you know, whatever, uh, really don't want pro-choice. They just want pro-abortion. So I want us to begin to talk, if you haven't already, about pro-abortion. This is not pro-choice in no way, and really ever has this been pro-choice. It's just pro-abortion. They know, and, and the reason they have to do these things this way is they know the general population, even in surveys now, don't support their extreme abortion on demand. Yes, there are surveys that say that the majority of Americans are some kind of pro-choice. But when you drill down into the details, and the details do matter in this, most people who respond to that say something like pre-first trimester, which personally I still don't agree with, but I can see how people would think that way. 
These policies, however, like the one we talked about with the Biden administration the other day, like this one that is in Michigan, are abortion on demand to the point of birth, period, with no restrictions whatsoever, which is why in Michigan and some of these other places, rather than debate actual abortion policy and push for legislation that actually cater to the public preference, Whitmer and others have turned to other areas to just basically hide this. So this particular thing is the state Supreme Court. Uh, they want to use the Supreme Court to institute an extreme abortion regime through this Michigan Constitution to see, just like they did with Roe v. Wade several decades ago, if the Michigan Constitution has abortion in it. I'm going to go out on a limb here, having admittedly not read the whole Michigan Constitution, that it probably doesn't say anything of the sort in there, but it would be interesting if they find it nonetheless, because why wouldn't you invent something that uh, that pursues your agenda? So Whitmer said in a press release announcing she had asked Michigan Supreme Court to expedite her lawsuit seeking a declaration of a state constitutional right to abortion. She said, quote, while politicians in other states rush to ban abortion, she's speaking about Kansas, uh, Texas, many other states, even in instances of rape or incest, Michigan must remain a place with a woman's ability to make her own medical decisions with her trusted healthcare perfector, uh, provider, excuse me, is respected, end quote. Okay, but again, so much euphemistic language in here where what she's really talking about is abortion on demand for any reason to the point of birth. And, of course, paid for by you, the taxpayer. That's what she wants. That's what she is seeking to get. And that is what will be installed if the Michigan Supreme Court finds, quote, a right to abortion in the state constitution. Then, of course, by using the Michigan Supreme Court to achieve this end, just like they did decades ago in Roe versus Wade with the Supreme Court of the United States of America, rather than using the actual legislative process, which we have through House and Senate, in federal and state courts uh, or legislation, Democrats can avoid all of the hassle of actually making a law. You just pass it through the court. Uh, and by the way, just to back up one more time, the, <laughs> the, the judicial branch of the courts is not the one supposed to be making laws. They're just not. Yes, they can set precedent, but they're not supposed to be making laws. The lawmakers are supposed to make laws, but by and large, they don't. And part of that is because they know they can't. If they actually pass this through law, they're not going to get the votes because people won't vote for this really extreme measure. Instead, trying to do a go-around just like they did in Roe versus Wade so many decades ago. We'll pray that they don't. The other side of this, though, is equally as diabolical. Whitmer actually struck $4 million advocated for maternity homes that provide, quote, safe housing and comprehensive support services without a charge free for pregnant women who are without a safe home in need. And quote, $4 million struck from the budget while at the same time trying to push for abortion on demand to the point of birth paid for by taxpayers. Again, this is clearly not about choice. It's about abortion. It is pro-abortion. It's not pro-choice. And this is even more sad. Apparently they even hate adoption. <laughs> even though they rail on, on conservatives, on Christians that, well, fine, if we're going to have all of these babies, they say, why don't you adopt them and take care of them? And many people in America, I, I happen to know some who are waiting for uh, for adoptive children. To They're waiting to be adoptive parents, but there are not enough kids to adopt in America. I don't know if you know that, but it's a thing. So at the same time, Whitmer 
In Michigan, Democratic governor struck $2 million in tax credits to adoptive parents and $10 million designed to provide factual information to pregnant women about adoption as an alternative to abortion, including the birth mother's ability to establish a pre-birth plan. They don't care about choice. They don't care about babies. They don't even seem to care about women. It's just a life or death matter. And in this activist Democratic Party, apparently they just keep choosing death which really makes me sad. And we need to continue to speak up about these things because life does matter. And we need to speak for those that don't have a voice. And again, I just cannot think of a segment of society that has less of a voice than these poor unborn babies. Which leads us to the verse of the day because today we're just talking about all the kids. And I just wanted to to, to leave you with this. Um, there's actually a couple. I was just going to do one, but I might do two here because, hey, this is a this is cultural events, current events from a Christian perspective. So we're going to talk about Christian things. We're going to talk about where our wisdom comes from, because clearly it's not coming from the government. It's not coming from the state. We're going to start with Proverbs 22, 6, which says, train up a child in the way they should go. And you may have heard that. You may know that. You may even live by that. But what I want to do is back up one verse and give you more context for this, because the context really makes a difference. The context in verse 5 says, Thorns and snares lie on the path of the perverse, but he who guards his soul stays far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is talking about how, as you walk through this life, you're going to have a lot of issues and problems, and as you walk through the life, this says, in the path of the perverse, or in the way of this culture, there's going to be thorns, there's going to be snares, there's going to be troubles, and more so if you go the way of the culture. But if you guard your soul, stay away from these, train up your child in the in these ways, when they are old, they will not depart from it. Now, this is misused a lot, saying that if you teach them all the right things, they'll never do wrong things. That's not true. Obviously, we all have our own will, and we act on that will sometimes, sometimes in the wrong way. <laughs> if those have kids, uh, you know, you know this is true. This is a way. But we need to instill in them the right heart so that they, when they get to these hard places, they can make the right decisions. This is all about making right decisions. I know we talk about belief a lot, and belief is very important. Uh, Paul talks about that quite a bit, but James also talks about how when you believe the right things, you do the right things as well. That fruit comes out of you because you've believed the right things. You don't just sit around waiting for heaven to come to you or whatever you do. You have to actually go out in life and live life. And by going out and living life, you have to do the right things in life. This is really important. And it's a really important point that for some reason in church settings, sometimes we miss. So what I want to do is move from Proverbs 22. And I actually want to move back in time to Deuteronomy because many people believe that Proverbs, written mostly by Solomon, is actually some, uh, some words, some sayings for his son um, to be able to understand Deuteronomy. And, and this is why it's important for us to, to go back and, and, and read some of the precursor to where this comes from. Now, this is not a one for one, so I'm not making that, uh, I'm not drawing that line, but it's similar enough that I wanted to read it and I wanted you to understand some of the context. So we went to Proverbs 22. Well, I want to go back to Deuteronomy 11, because in Deuteronomy 11, um, we're, we're talking about how to live and how to follow God, and 
how to raise children. And I think that's really important because this is what we're talking about. It really is all about the kids. And if you're a parent, you should want it to be all about the kids. And so you're sitting there thinking, well, what do I do then? I think this is a really good verse to hold on to and understand. So this is Deuteronomy 11, 18, where it says, fix these words of mine. This is the commands of God, the, uh, the way of God, the words of God. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as a reminder on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, speaking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. And even goes on to say on the doors, etc. Basically, everywhere. You should be talking about God to your children in everything that you do. Talking about the ways of God. Talking about how you follow God. Many people want to say, when Jesus gave his commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and those are the only two commandments that you need, they want to really compress those together in that all you need is love. Beatles song. But it's much more than that. It's much more because we still have these commands and God has not changed. Yes, we don't have to follow the ceremonial things that the Jews had to follow, but we still have to follow the commands of God because we still have to follow after God's heart. And to know God's heart, we have to know God's word. That's what this passage is pointing to, and I think rather well. 11.18, fix these words of mine in your heart, in your mind, tie them on your hands, bind them to your foreheads, teach them to your children, speaking about them when you sit, when you walk, when you lie, when you get up, basically everywhere you go, everything you do, think about God, talk about God, uh, talk about your faith, live out your faith. This is why I consistently and constantly say keep the faith, because it's really important, and it's important that you do it everywhere you go. That's part of why I do what I do here. The current events are important, but they're really not that important. I just hopefully use them, and you catch this, I'm using them as an illustration for you to understand how to live in this world. I don't really care about the current events that much. Honestly, I kind of don't. What I care about is you as a parent, as a member of the community, uh, maybe even as a child as you're listening to this, that you can follow after God with everything that you have, with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And in order to do that, you're going to have to grab your Bible from time to time and pick it up and read it. I would suggest every day, but that's just my suggestion. And suggest that you read it and live by it. Learn what it means, learn how to live it, and learn how to walk in your way, in the way of God in everything you do. Speaking about it when you sit, when you walk, when you lie, when you get up, everywhere. Everything you're doing should be to the glory of God. I hope that is the case for you. And if not, hey, now's a great day to start. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So begin today. Work with God. Focus on God. Put your faith in Jesus who gave himself up for us and live for him in everything that you do. That's my encouragement for you today. Hope that you live like that. I hope uh, that you're blessed in hearing this and that you're blessed as you move out from here into this wild and crazy world, taking Jesus with you and the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you as always. For Church Public, I'm Matt Odegaard and keep the faith.